Welcome to Sundays with Montrose Bible Church. We're glad you tuned in as Pastor Matt leads us in a study of God's Word. Well, good morning. So good to see you all here today. For those of you who don't know me, my name is Jim Fluck, and I have a the privilege of opening the word with you here this morning. Um, this morning, we're going to take a look at the third epistle of John. And like the minor prophets, these minor epistles or letters are usually overlooked. In fact, when I spoke on the epistles of John, I did not do third John. So this is kind of a completion of something that I had started a long time ago. Um, but it was something that I felt that I needed to do. Um, This particular letter is one chapter, 14 verses. It was written somewhere in the 90 to 95 AD era. Um, Even though it's called 3 John, we're not really sure of the chronological order of the letters, so we're not really sure if it's the third letter that was written chronologically. But in our Bible, we'll call it 3 John. Um, Most agree all of his epistles were written fairly close to one another, so it's really hard to determine exactly when they were written. Now, we've already spent some time, as I said, in the epistles of John. Um, If you remember back that far, the first epistle was written to the churches in Asia Minor, and it was written as an encouragement to them. Um, They were going to be going through a difficult time. John started by telling the believers that they could believe the message that the apostles were sharing with them for a bunch of reasons. First of all, they had walked with Jesus. They had listened to him and learned from him. They'd seen him crucified, and they'd seen him risen. And they'd even touched him. And you might say, well, why is that such a big deal? Well, it's a big deal because many people would say that Jesus was just an apparition. He was a ghost. And many false prophets told all sorts of stories about who Jesus was. But John was declaring that he was the man that he says he was. And we know that as truth. And so we encourage them in living that truth out. He went on to encourage them also to love one another and to make sure that they were not being deceived by anyone. There would be many people who would come and who would try to sway them or mislead them in some way. John wanted them to know also that that the believers, that they could believe the gospel message. But not only that, but that they could, despite the persecution that they were going to undergo, they could still hold on to their faith in God. God did love them. And they would ultimately receive this wonderful gift of eternity in his presence. In this way, only because of that, could they overcome a world that was going to be filled with sin and hatred. In his second epistle, John once again commends those who are walking in the truth. But he goes on to describe these people who would be deceivers. He spoke of in his first letter. He says, those who do not abide in the teachings of Christ, they are the deceivers. The apostles were charged with teaching the truth in the church. So it fell at odds with the apostles. It meant you were a false prophet. Many of them were Gnostics that came around and they espoused 
the idea of being learned or being well-taught as being the epitome. Um, Many of them were just in it for their own purposes, whatever that might be. But there were many of these false prophets. Today, as we look at this letter, we will find this letter is different than the others because it's more personal. It was written to a person instead of being written to an entire group of churches. Okay, And so this is a man that John was apparently corresponding with earlier and over a few years, perhaps. And, and so it's different than the others that we've seen. Let's open the Bible and read the third epistle of John. The elder to the beloved Gaius, whom I love in truth. Beloved, I pray that in all respects... You may prosper and be in good health, just as your soul prospers. For I was very glad when brethren came and testified to your truth, that is, how you are walking in truth. I have no greater joy than this, to hear of my children walking in the truth. Beloved, you are acting faithfully in whatever you accomplish for the brethren, and especially when they are strangers, and they have testified to your love before the church. You will do well to send them on their way in a manner worthy of God. For they went out for the sake of the name, accepting nothing from the Gentiles. Therefore, we ought to support such men, so that we may be fellow workers with the truth. I wrote something to the church, but Diotrephes, who loves to be first among them, does not accept what I say. For this reason, if I come, I will call attention to his deeds, which he does, unjustly accusing us with wicked words. And not satisfied with this, he himself does not receive the brethren either, and he forbids those who desire to do so and puts them out of the church. Beloved, do not imitate what is evil, but what is good. The one who does good is of God. The one who does evil has not seen God. Demetrius has received a good testimony from everyone and from the truth itself. And we add our testimony, and you know that our testimony is true. I had many things to write to you, but I'm not willing to write them to you with pen and ink. But I hope to see you shortly, and we will speak face to face. Peace be to you. The friends greet you. Greet the friends by name. Let's pray. Lord, as we open your word, we... Pray, Lord, that you'll open our eyes to your truth. Give us an understanding that we might better serve you. I pray also for the courage, the strength, and the perseverance to continue to walk in your way, exalting you always. Lord, we love you. We want to be in your will in all that we do. Amen. So you'll notice right away that this letter is written to a a man named Gaius. The letter indicates that it was from the elder. And you might say, well, it doesn't say it's from John. Well, the people would have understood that this was the elder they were corresponding with, and so they would have known this was John writing it. There are some Bible scholars who say maybe he kept his name out of the letter in order to avoid persecution when someone found the letter and knew that he was the one that was writing it. But either way, um, we don't know a lot about Gaius. Uh, This was a fairly common name. Um, There were other mentions of Gaius. In Acts, Corinthians, and Romans, there's a Gaius mentioned. 
there isn't really any way to determine if they are indeed the same person or persons. Um, We can tell from the greeting that John recognized this Gaius as a man of God. He uses the expression, whom I love in truth. John uses this same expression in his other two epistles to show his admiration for someone. In verse 2, we find John stating he is praying on his behalf that Gaius might prosper and be in good health as his soul prospers. Now, the literal translation of the term prosper is to have a good journey. Unfortunately, some people twist the meaning of this scripture and say that John is praying for wealth and health because Gaius is a Christian man and he should get that. There's no indication that that was John's intent here. In fact, as we read the Bible, we find all types of indications that our life is going to be a difficult life. It'll be full of trials, it'll be full of tests. And for these people in particular, they were going to be severely persecuted. So it seems odd that he would pray for them to have some great quantity of wealth and be perfectly healthy. That was not his intent. He was talking about his walk, his travel through this time. The condition of the believer's soul is what allows them to have this good journey through an earthly life because we know the outcome. Our faith allows us to see trials and testing as an opportunity to grow closer to God. Charles Spurgeon has this to say about the comment in verse 3 on how Gaius was walking in truth as compared to walking in the truth that John uses in verse 4. It goes like this. What is it to walk in truth? It is not walking in the truth, or else someone would suppose it meant that John was overjoyed because they were sound in doctrine and cared little for anything else. His joyous survey did include their orthodoxy in creed, but it reached far beyond. So what Spurgeon is saying is almost the idea that anybody could put on this front of looking like they were godly. And they could walk in the truth, at least from our observation. But they couldn't walk in truth. In truth is more than that. It's also observable. It's something that people can see because we notice that John says that about Gaius. So it's something that we exude. It's something that people can see in us. It's not only our actions, but it is, is what we say, what we don't say. It is our, our temperament. It is all those things added together that people leave and say, that is a godly man. So it is observable. And John is going to contrast this man, Gaius, with another man by the name of Diotrephes, who we're going to be introduced to in verse 9. Once again, we don't know too much about this man other than the details that John shares. It is commonly assumed, though, that Diotrephes is a man of position in the church. Perhaps he was a leader of some sort. There is one more person named in the letter 
That is Demetrius, and we'll get to him a little later. So you can see that this letter includes the names of various people who are going to be examples for us. While it is not too common to use a person's name in this type of correspondence, especially in this negative way, it does happen in some other epistles. So in 2 Timothy 4.14, Paul mentions Alexander the coppersmith in much the same way as we find Diotrephes mentioned here. So Diotrephes is going to be our example of the wrong way to do things. And Gaius will be our example of godly behavior. So let's look at Diotrephes first. Let's read verses 9 to 11. I wrote something to the church, but Diotrephes, who loves to be first among them, does not accept what we say. For this reason, if I come, I will call attention to his deeds, which he does, unjustly accusing us with wicked words, and not satisfied with this, he himself does not receive the brethren either. And he forbids those who desire to do so and puts them out of the church. Beloved, do not imitate what is evil, but what is good. The one who does good is of God. The one who does evil has not seen God. You'll notice right away, it says he wrote something to the church So this is some evidence that there's been correspondence prior to this letter. So we know that this isn't the first letter, at least, that uh, John has written to them. And the first thing you'll notice about Diotrephes is that he loves to be first among them. And John is referring to being among the members of this church in this case. And it appears that Diotrephes puts himself above other believers. This is arrogance. It's pride. In Isaiah, chapter 14, verses 12 to 15, Satan is said to have this same desire. This is Isaiah Isaiah speaking of, of Satan. How you have fallen from heaven, O star of the morning, son of the dawn. You have been cut down to the earth, you who have weakened the nations. But you said in your heart, I will ascend to heaven. I will raise my throne above the stars of God. And I will sit on the Mount of Assembly in the recesses of the north. I will ascend above the heights of the clouds. I will make myself like the Most High. Nevertheless, you will be thrust down to Sheol to the recesses of the pit. So this result of of Satan trying to put himself above God ends up with him in Sheol. Let's contrast that with Christ. In Philippians, chapter 2, verses 3 to 9. Do nothing from selfishness or empty conceit, but with humility of mind regard one another as more important than yourselves. Do not merely look out for your own personal interests, but also for the interests of others. Have this attitude in yourselves which was also in Christ Jesus, who, although he existed in the form of God, did not regard equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself, taking the form of a bondservant, and being made in the likeness of men, being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. For this reason also, God highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name which is above every name, 
So you can see that, that Satan is full of himself. And the result is he ends up being cast into Sheol. Christ surrenders himself to the will of God, humbles himself, and he ends up ascending. Jesus gives us hope. As we read in Matthew twenty three twelve, that the same thing can happen for us. Whoever exalts himself shall be humbled, and whoever humbles himself shall be exalted. John is stating that Diotrephes is suffering with the sin of pride. That may come from anywhere. It might be his position in church. Um, it may come from his position in the community. We're not too sure about the life of Diotrephes other than this assessment that John gives us. Because of his arrogance, he does not accept the teaching of the apostles. As we read in verse 9. I wrote something to the church, but Diotrephes, who loves to be first among them, does not accept what we say. Notice he says we, meaning the apostles. Many of the letters may have been written by more than one of them together to a community. Um, He loves to be first among them and does not accept what we say. Today, in churches around the world, we have church leaders who want to deny the truth of Scripture. They want to change it. They want to accept part of it and cast the rest off. Um, And we know that God's Word is the inspired writings of the apostles. So if we do that same thing, we are guilty, just like Diotrephes is guilty. Now, it seems that he not only denied their authority, but he spoke very harshly of them. Look at verse 10. For this reason, if I come, I will call attention to his deeds, which he does unjustly, accusing us with wicked words, and not satisfied with this, he himself does not receive the brethren either, and he forbids those who desire to do so and puts them out of the church. You can see that John wants to confront this situation personally. He wants to call him out in his sin. And the people need to know that Diotrephes is leading them the wrong way. He's also accused of not accepting the brethren and putting those who want to out of the church. So what does this mean he doesn't accept the brethren? Well, it was very common in the first century for there to be itinerant preachers or teachers many of whom may very well have been sent out by the apostles. And those preachers or or teachers would come around to the local churches and they would preach and travel on to the next place. Um, Unfortunately, at that time, if you were to try to find a place to stay, you would probably find that it wasn't a very good place to stay. The inns of that time were dirty. Um, They were not well kept. There were all sorts of things that went on in the inn that probably a man of God would not want to be near. Also, many of the people who owned the inns were dishonest, and they would cheat you. So it was really common for men to come around and then for them to rely on the hospitality of 
the church or of members of the church. We read that Gaius is commended for doing such a thing. Diotrephes, on the other hand, is accused of not receiving these brethren into his home. He turns them away. And he goes even farther than that. He forbids the church members from doing so. And if they even think about doing it, it says he puts them out of the church. It's quite possible that some of these itinerant teachers were sent by John. And that they reported back to him these things that had happened to them. In his desire to be above all, Diotrephes has used his position to control the message that the church was receiving. He was stopping them from preaching the word that they should have. This placed him in a position of authority that became abusive and sinful. We are told in verse 11 not to imitate this behavior. Beloved, do not imitate what is evil, but what is good. The one who does good is of God. The one who does evil has not seen God. So that's, that's the bad. Let's contrast now Diotrephes with Gaius. Gaius is seen by John as someone who does good. Let's read verses 3 to 8. For I was very glad, brethren, came and testified to your truth... That is, how you are walking in truth. I have no greater joy than this to hear of my children walking in the truth. And they have testified to your love before the church. You will do well to send them on their way in a manner worthy of God. For they went out for the sake of the name, accepting nothing from the Gentiles. Therefore, we ought to support such such men, so that we may be fellow workers with the truth. So Gaius is apparently seen as someone that John should be writing to. I'm not sure if he had a position in the church as a leader. Um, We're not sure about that. But that would not be necessary in order for there to be correspondence between John and Gaius. It also appears that Gaius was not put out of the church by Diotrephes, which leads us to believe that He may be from the same area, but might associate with a different body of believers, or he may very well be in a position where Diotrephes has no authority over him. Whatever the case, John is aware of his efforts to help the traveling teachers by providing a place for them to stay. Now, he not only had to provide a place for them to stay, but he had to provide for them a little bit more than that. John refers to the fact that the visitors were sometimes strangers who most likely came in the name of the apostles by letter but were unknown to Gaius. We see this in verse 5. Beloved, you are acting faithfully in whatever you accomplish for the brethren and especially when they are strangers. So you see, a, a person who was bearing a letter would come to Gaius and when he came to Gaius, he would present this letter with something from the apostles that would say, This man is bearing our good news. Please take care of him. So that was how these itinerants would travel around with something that would authenticate them as someone that is preaching the word. John also encourages Gaius to send these men on their way in a godly manner. Look at verses 6 to 8. And they have testified to your love before the church, 
you will do well to send them on their way in a manner worthy of God. For they went out for the sake of the name, accepting nothing from the Gentiles. Therefore, we ought to support such men so that we may be fellow workers with the truth. So not only did this itinerant, you know, come to the town and hopefully someone will put them up, but he also had to travel from town to town. So if all we did was give him food while he was here, he'd have to travel awful hungry to the next place. So he's saying, send them out in the same way that you received them. It's a little bit more than just taking care of them while they're here. How Gaius received these people and treated them is what was commended. And John calls Gaius a fellow worker in the truth. You might say, okay, he put somebody up for a couple days and gave them enough food to get to the next town. That seems pretty trivial in light of all of the things that he could be doing. It doesn't talk anything about Gaius preaching. It doesn't talk about anything else that Gaius has done that is fantastic. This seems small. While this may seem like a trivial matter, remember Christ's words in Matthew 10, 40 to 42. The one who receives you receives me, and the one who receives me receives him who sent me. The one who receives a prophet in the name of a prophet shall receive a prophet's reward. And the one who receives a righteous person in the name of a righteous person shall receive a righteous person's award. And whoever gives one of these little ones just a cup of cold water to drink in the name of a disciple, truly I say to you, he shall by no means lose his reward. You see, there are no small jobs when it comes to doing what we're called to do. In this way, the church is like that body, that analogy of the human body and the fingers and all those things. And people say, wow, pinky doesn't do much. <clears throat> Try to play a guitar without a pinky. It's a little more difficult. So all of these things that we have been, that we have been given to do are important, even if we think of them as trivial or small. There is one other character named in this epistle. And that is Demetrius. And once again, we know very little about Demetrius. We know this is not the same Demetrius that Paul mentions in Acts, the man who made idols. We do know that John highly commends him in this letter. He claims he has good testimony with people. He abides in the truth of scripture. And the apostles also bear witness to his character. Now, this whole thing about Demetrius may seem out of place in this, in this whole thing. But... It's assumed that Demetrius was the guy who was carrying the letter. And this was John's way of telling Gaius and the church <clears throat> that this man can be trusted. He is from us. We are going to testify of who he is. <clears throat> now, as John closes, <clears throat> it seems as though John has a number of things he'd like to share with Gaius, but he won't put in a letter. <clears throat> One of those things is, might have been how do we deal with the diatrophies. Judging by the date of this letter, it is doubtful that John did get a chance to visit with this body of believers again. He ends by saying, greet the friends by name. That might refer to the Gospel of John 10, verse 3, where Jesus claims the good shepherd knows his sheep and calls them by name. So as always, we get to the end of something like this and we say, 
Okay, how does that apply to us? What should we make of this letter? The contrast of two people, the one good, the one evil, gives us some insight into the things that can and do occur every day in today's church. We need to be able to sort the good from the bad, bad from the good, as John did here. We need to continue the good and dispose of the bad. So let's not look at the people involved, but let's look at the characteristics that define that person as good or bad. The bad characteristics we are to set aside are pride and the desire for power over truth. These two things seem to go hand in hand in our example, and that really may be the most common way to see them. It was not difficult for John to see there was a problem. Perhaps the church did not see it. We must be mindful, not only of our own pride and desires, but beware of the result of things getting to the point that they did in this church. Fortunately, John gives us a model of the person motivated by the truth to humble themselves and serve God in a way that brings him honor. That is who we want to be. A faithful servant, humbled by a God who loves in a way we can't. A God who knows our intentions, and promises to reward good intentions. I think that Gaius knew in his heart about the God that Joe shared about last week, a good God, and that we serve a good God. And he aspired to be a good and faithful servant. The question is, will we do the same? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, We do know that there are many characteristics that we should exude. Humility and recognition of your truths are just two of them. But Lord, they seem so important that I pray that each one of us would search ourselves for any signs of failings to display these characteristics. Lord, that we might become like Gaius. Lord, recognized by our godliness pointing to you always, exalting you on high with our very lives. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. We trust you were challenged by the word of the Lord and invite you to join us again if you'd like to learn more about our ministry in Montrose or want to connect with Pastor Matt. Come worship with us at 930 every Sunday along Lake Avenue. 